Welcome to Now with Steve Rio. On this podcast, I seek to define what it means to live a good life. How do we stay connected and aligned with our values and our purpose? How do we prioritize what's most important to us? And how do we optimize and make the most of the time we have in this life? Today I'm talking to Scott Orth from Mindful Wisdom. You can find him online at mindfulwisdom.ca. Scott and I first met a couple years ago through a mutual friend who he was working with. I feel like we hit it off right away. We're thinking about a lot of the same things and exploring the same domains. I found Scott to be incredibly insightful and thoughtful as we talked about career, life choices, family, mindfulness in the face of adversity, our power to change our experience of life, and ultimately, meaning. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and if you do, make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Instagram, at Steve Rio. And if you're interested in learning how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system to help you live life to its fullest. You can find us online at natureofwork.co or on Instagram at the same, at natureofwork.co. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Thanks for having us in your home. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Coffee. It's amazing. So Scott just made us beautiful coffee. What, What kind of coffee maker have you got going on there um that's a um espresso machine or milano mm-hmm. um rocket okay so, uh oh, yeah rocket. i think I've rocket, heard of that. yeah so espresso tech is where you want to go for your your uh, espresso yeah that's the spot for your espresso machines nice yeah Be careful you can um <laughs> you can you can find yourself down a hole there as well expensive hole honestly though we've never looked back this is not a purchase that anybody has ever regretted so I will add that. And it is delicious coffee, I can confirm. Excellent. Nice. Well, um, yeah, I'm happy to have you here. And you have the honor of being the very first guest yeah. on this podcast. Um, and we were just talking about this, but I think one of the ideas I have behind the podcast is to help people as they're emerging in their lives, as they're in their adult lives, is to really be thinking about what is important. Because I think at the root of all the decisions we make, through our life, that's really the bottom line. Um, and hoping to have thoughtful conversations with thoughtful people like yourself. So I appreciate you making time. Hmm. Yeah. Glad to be, glad to be here with you. Yeah. Um, excited actually. I think this is a, this is a, a bold move on your part and happy to, um, take a step into this space myself. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start by asking you to describe yourself, um, outside of your LinkedIn bio, how would you, how do you define yourself or think about yourself? Um, and so part of this is in my LinkedIn bio, or at least on my website, I don't know if it actually shows up in my LinkedIn bio. So my website would have closer to reality. Um, and so in my world, it starts with, uh, I'll say the, the closest, um, atom in this, in the whole system would be my own health and well-being. 
And so there's definitely a strong value for me around taking care of myself so that I can show up so that I can perform in all the other domains of my life. And then very quickly, the next domain is my uh, relationship with my wife, Megan, mm-hmm. and my two kids, Noah and Kayla. And so that family nucleus. And so, you know, I think the part that doesn't show up on LinkedIn, although it weaves in a little bit through some of my posts, is really um, how important that core is to me. Mm-hmm. Like that, everything else, like to me, that's the purpose is having that stable core, both in my own strengths and well being, but in the family, uh, that sort of foundation and having that strong, um, resilient foundation so that uh, you can weather the things that are going on around that. Mm-hmm. And you, um, you made, uh, I think, what seems to me, at least from the outside in, quite a big career shift around 2015, 2014, 2015, sometime in that time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was in an engineering company uh, for 27 years. Um, basically, my most of my my career was in one, inside of one organization. And it was a brilliant opportunity um, in that I probably changed and evolved my uh, profession, my career six times there, mm-hmm. moved cities, moved roles, uh, moving from a frontline consultant all the way through to the head of HR. And at the end, doing uh, leadership development with senior uh, engineers and scientists. And so, you know, that was where I learned so much. But then uh, the organization was changing. Uh, I was in a a very different space. And as we went through a very difficult time in the organization, um, there came a time where learning and development just wasn't going to be happening. And this was my passion, my entire uh, narrowing or I'll say specialization and, and my passion had moved me more and more into um, uh, leadership development. And so where the organization was, that wasn't going to happen for a few years. And so it was either reinvent myself one more time inside the organization or reinvent myself outside of the organization. And I chose the latter. Right. And um, what, did that tra- what did that transition look like for you? What, what was the internal dialogue or the discussions with your wife or, you know, how did you come? How did it must have been I mean, after that many years? That's a big. It's, it's like leaving a family, honestly. Like mm-hmm. so, you know, and as a senior person in the organization and someone who worked through core, you know, the values of the organization, um, the competencies of uh, the professional of the managers. And so there were, you know, my hand had been um, deeply uh, inside the organization and, and the DNA and, and adding to that in, in my and other, um, uh, people that I worked with ways. And so it was hard, but I think, you know, there's a lot, these, we make these decisions in our head from a logic perspective with, you know, lists of, um, pros and cons. Um, but I remember, you know, and, and these were, you know, with a family it's a big move to leave a stable job. It was huge. Right. Um, and so later in my career, I, I have a little more buffer than perhaps other people might, um, but it ultimately came down to a gut decision. You know, where could I see myself? Um, and for me, increasingly, I'm being navigated by uh, joy. You know, where do I see myself coming alive in the work that I do so that I'm more, I'll say, switched on alive um, in my other domains of my life. And increasingly, I'm moving other domains of my life. Where am I switched on so that that comes back into my work? And so this whole, I'll say, reinforcing uh, pursuit of 
um, alignment and uh, congruence and ultimately peace and joy. Like is where, and so I, when I sat in a car, you know, in Southern Ontario back for um, a family wedding just before Christmas in 20, late 2014, I wrestled with the, the, you know, and sort of, I can remember watching the sunset on the sort of winter horizon and which path could I see myself moving? And it was clear sort of at a heart gut level, not a logic level. Logic, it made no sense. This is leaping into the abyss. Um, but from a, a gut and heart level, it seemed this was the path. And yeah. I, and again, some dark days along the path for sure. Um, but I would never have made a different choice. Yeah. It's interesting how our, our gut is often much clearer than our head. It's the trick, I mean, what's your experience? My, you know, the trick is finding, um, trusting that, mm -hmm. the hearing it at all, um, believing that it has a clue. I don't know what your experience is, um, like with believing that your gut knows what it's doing. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, and having the, uh, the peace and the, the, the space in your life for, for that voice to be heard. I'm interested you, you, you have shifted into mindfulness. Was that, was that, uh, immediately what came to you in that transition or what, how did that occur? How did that become your primary focus? Yeah, so life is sometimes planned and accidental. And a lot of my um, shifts and turns in my career and in my life have been influenced by circumstances and us how we respond to those. And so uh, there was a previous experience with a coach, Ray Williams, here in Vancouver, who coached around principles of mindfulness. Um, and he wanted to build a training course working with me on that. And we built that out. And it was interesting. So I had a, I'll say, a high interest in mindfulness and a practice at that time. But then coincidentally, or serendipitously, I, my, my son was going through some really challenging times with some anxiety and anxiety that would at times present as oppositional defiance. And so the oppositional defiance, as I see it, and at least in my son, is a way to cope with a world when you feel very unsafe. And so one way to cope is to take control. Um, as a parent, trying to parent a child who moves into oppositional defiance, it is insanely difficult. This is a child who will not respond to any request. Um, and so I found myself in a high conflict, high, uh, di increasingly dysfunctional uh, situation and grasping for any way out of this, like we were spiraling. And it was only through some great help from counseling, but also, um, you know, the penny fell when I realized, you know, the strongest influence I had to help my son was to manage my own reactivity to his behavior. And wow. that my behavior, my anger, my frustration, my doling out consequences, my yelling, all of this, that which was, you know, there's no question that his behavior was extreme. Anybody in the room would have said that, but my anger only made it worse. And so that was a really tough one. And the challenge was I swore every morning, um, I'm not going to make it worse today, but I didn't have the tools. And it was as I went deeper into the mindfulness, I realized this was the how. This was the how to help me not do what every fiber in my body was screaming to do. Mm -hmm. And and so 
breaking that chain, breaking that cycle, that behavioral pattern is exceptionally hard. It doesn't matter what the behavioral pattern is. Uh, and so that's where I, you know, found not only was this thing that I believed in and felt really confident in teaching to others, it came home really quickly. I needed to figure this out at a very core level, at a very personal level, um, because without something changing in my life, we were on a bad path. Wow. Yeah. So you were already doing some mindfulness training and things in the workspace when this arose and just showed you a whole new level to the game, basically, of what mindfulness actually could mean or what it meant. Yeah. It, it ultimately, I had to walk the talk, right? right? Where And it's easy to walk the talk when um, everything is going nicely. It's a different thing to practice. Uh, so one of the tenets of mindfulness is acceptance um, and non-judgment. That sounds nice. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could just accept the world and not judge it, right? Um, you know, thankfully, my son was excellent at teaching me how to do that. Right? And it wasn't easy. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Harder than any um, role transition any senior leadership role, any of the big corporate stuff that was going down that you were trying to sort out, trying to sort out my own biology in that environment um, was extremely hard. And, wow. and so for us, I mean, and I, I, I share this story because in the end, it's been an, it's been an it ultimately has been a miracle in terms of my son is thriving. He's done so well. Um, one of the key learnings, and maybe this goes back to where you were talking, like things, <laughs> things I wish I knew a long time ago. Um, would be along the lines of, if you want the world to change, smarten up, uh, be whatever, almost always it starts with us. I'm trying to be more of that. Um, and we're blind to that usually. And that's a hard lesson. This isn't an easy lesson to see. Um, it comes with maybe time and experience, but to see, I, you know, for me, I really wanted my son to be calmer and more um, peaceful. I needed to be calmer and more peaceful for him to be calmer and more peaceful. Right. And I had to go first. That's the parent role. That, that was the leader role was the, the need. Uh, Cause in my immediacy, it, it seemed like he needed to smarten up first. And right. I, Cause you're reacting to his behavior. Absolutely. As opposed to looking at your own behavior. Absolutely. And my behavior was justified. My anger, my vitriol, um, my words, all of that was justified. Wow. In my mind, remember this is oh, yeah. this is all no, pre mind. I, this is all pre. I'll say increased awareness. So yeah, and it's, it's it strikes me as an example where I, you look at the the adversity in our life is the major teachings of our life, and often what shapes the way you know what things that we learn then we want to teach others is that as I mean is is that a component of this for you is is. You know, I think as if any of us, and if, if you ask yourself that question, if you look back, when did, you know, what influenced me the most to where I am today, almost all of us will point to moments of deep adversity. Like, and it, they weren't easy. Um, and sometimes they were prolonged. Um, we, it took us a while to figure out how to get out of whatever that situation was or what the lesson was or what the opportunity was in all of that. So... Um, I think in more and more as I've gone through more and more in my life, I see increasingly whatever the adversity is, is the opportunity. Ryan Holiday wrote a great book a couple of years ago, The Obstacle is the Way. 
And, you know, he brings it home over and over and over how the challenge that is in front of us that we maybe really dislike um, the person, the boss, the child, um, the where we live, whatever it is that we really, really are having troubles with is our opportunity. And so uh, the quicker we, I can learn that again, so I can see more challenges ahead, right? Mm-hmm. It isn't a one and done. Oh, I only had one thing to figure out here, how to manage myself as a uh, frustrated parent who seeks control in out of control situations. I'm way right. better at that, but, um, damn, if there aren't other ones showing up really quickly here and, you know, another opportunity to grow. Right. And it's so interesting. I think <clears throat> often we're, you know, obviously we do our best to avoid situations of adversity or avoid hard scenarios. And often we, you know, we're, we're never seeking them, but, but they are the, seem to me, one of the the great important parts of life. Right. And that that's how we develop. That's who, we, that's how we become who we are. Yeah. I mean, for you, what would be a, a, a pivotal point for you? Well, I think I, for one is, is coming through, um, I was a musician up to the age of, well, I was a musician, I'm still a musician, but I was a very active musician in my mid twenties until 26, 27. But there was a period where I had a, a band that I'd started when I was 13. It was a set of guys that we had come through a decade and plus with. I thought that that's all we were ever going to do, you know? Yeah. And, um, the next Coldplay I poured it. Yeah. I thought I, for sure. I thought I was going to be this rock star. <laughs> But really, the more importantly, the music was so important uh, to me. It was so personal to me, and mm. um, uh, having that that the, the kind of rug pulled out from under me, even though I'm sure all the signs were there, um, was was I had to reinvent myself completely, and, right. and my whole ego, my whole identity. identity. Yeah. You know, I think like most people in their twenties, you're very much wrapped in your identity, and you, you know all those kind of things. And so that was super hard going from being the guy that everybody knew as the musician in the band, kind of this, when's yeah. your next gig and yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff and saying, well, actually there kind of is no next gig. Yeah. I'm doing websites now, or I'm doing this. It was a really hard identity transition. I think that was the hardest part in that scenario, actually. Um, and, and I, all, yeah, and I th- I, there was loss, but there was also an identity transition that I needed to get through. Yeah, and I think you're pointing to something that's actually really important is for a lot of these is um, is is that ego, is that identity uh, letting go or that mm-hmm. identity reinvention. And, you know, as the years go by, I can see how, and this is the cool part, it's frustrating in the moment when you're in the letting go stage, but we aren't nearly as pinned down as we think we are. Like you've morphed your identity multiple times and you are still absolutely and you are still in at, there's an essence of you who is still the same and yet this i you know the, the identity is actually considerably different me as a parent is a hugely different me than me as a uh, making money spending money um having fun um pre-parent right like that's a very different uh, totally. um and and yet i honestly love being this identity more um than the last one um, and who knows this, this morphs in its own time too. And then, so you have to more, you have, yep. have to find that way again. So some finding some lightness or fluidity or less ego attachment to how, who I am and how it's going to be, yes. uh, I think is a lesson that you have to, you know, it comes, but you know, the 
for people who are learning these earlier or, or, learn, or learning these for the first times now, because in 20s is when you seal that, you know, you kind of get your first identity or maybe your second or third, but it feels like you. And then it kind of anchors and we feel like there's a part of that that lives on pretty much the rest of the time. But really um, getting better at letting that go totally. or letting it um, go where it seems, and this is where the obstacles away comes back and letting it go where it seems to need to go now as opposed to fighting against the whole world to conform to where you were um, and loved it. Right. Yeah. And like all through our, all through our, you know, high school, university, early twenties, we're, we're, it feels like we're told that the, the end point is really close. You're always working towards adulthood and suddenly you're 26 or certain 25, 26. And it's like, okay, well, I I must have figured myself out now. I guess this is it. I've arrived. I've arrived. And you, you're just at the start line of a whole new chapter. And that, and that, that chapter may be five years, two years, 10 years, doesn't matter. It's going to change again and again and again. And actually you said that you like this identity better than the last one. I would suggest at least for myself that each identity gets better because I think they get weaker, like in terms of the actual identity themselves, but also the, the, the experiences and, and, and your knowing of yourself gets richer and your knowing of everything seems to get richer and, and more grounded. I, I would agree with you with, uh, I'll add an exception though. I think there are uh, skills that hopefully either come with maturity or you can develop with maturity, which allow you some openness to that. Cause I think if you don't have openness and some fle- flexibility, to the evolution of, or the letting go on the new evolution, I think it becomes a rarely rigid, frustrating mm. ride. And I think that deeper, richerness, I would agree completely in that I feel it is much deeper and richer because there's nuance of all those previous identities still there. Um, it's, you know, me in corporate, um, me as a leader, me as a um, consultant, all of those pieces are still there. Um, but they come through this version um, where they serve, right? And so it's a lot of this for me has been an increasing understanding of keep the good and drop the bad stuff. Like as a parent, some of my setting boundaries and expectations is still needed. That's important. Um, being really choosy about how big of a battle or how big of a fight and where it really, like there's very few, this is what I've come to realize as a parent. And I think maybe for life, there's very few things that are really, really important. Mm. that are really worth getting in conflict over and really um, challenging a relationship over very, very few. Um, and so a lot of it, it you know, it, it's a reprioritizing. And again, it's shift in um, understanding and values is the relationships and the positive relationships and maintaining those is actually more important than being right, um, getting your way um, in a lot of instances. How, how do you feel? How did you come to that conclusion about there's you know that there's very little as you know important enough to disrupt an important relationship or maybe i don't want to paraphrase for you but how do you how did you come to that again the fortunate fortune of having children um children are hard like really hard and you can i could just see how many and still my brain is still uh you know a pattern of how i was raised like we are products largely it's hard to get by or hard to escape the sort of enormity of our family of origin stuff um and so trying to establish control seems to be a pattern i have um children are largely out of control right and so you can 
and again, and maturing and doing their best. Uh, and each year goes by, you see the development, but man, I could spend all day, like I say, the identity I used to have was a cop. My role as a parent was a policeman in the house, watching for violations and handing out tickets. Mm. And so that was a way to sort of regulate a chaotic system. That was exhausting. It wasn't fun for anybody. Um, and so, you know, as you shift your mindset to, in this case, a teacher, um, everything is an opportunity for learning. Everything now um, can add value in some learning way. As a, and so there's very few of, you know, moments now where I need to get really frustrated and angry because um, personal safety, uh, somebody's safety running across the street, I will be firm and not, you know, on that. Mm -hmm. A lot of other things is really an opportunity far more for a lesson than a lecture. Yeah, that's great. And, and so it's not easy though. Like, uh, you, I still feel that wiring within me, that desire to control. Like, so just, I'll, I'll just add that, that, you know, awareness is huge. Like noticing the pattern and choosing differently or choosing to try and grow from this, find the, how the obstacle is the way, what can I use this? But man, is our brain and our biology, mm -hmm. um, strong right it's not an uh, it's not an intellectual not, exercise that's right you can learn something intellectually then it it seems like it's it, would you say it's like a just repeatedly experiencing it to truly know something or how would how would you define knowing truly embodying one of those principles yeah you just said it i mean the the true learning every is always in the body right so it shows up in the words it shows up in the actions it shows in up even I mean, some of it can be mindset, but mindset is expressed as how you uh, act. It ultimately shows up how you act in the world. Uh, so knowing it, uh, I mean, I knew not to uh, yell at my kids first thing in the morning because they were slow getting out of bed. Um, not doing that for a long time was, was hard because that seemed to make the most rational sense in my mind um, that if they're, if they're dawdling, they need to be provoked. And, they need, and the more partially you provoke them, the quicker they'll respond. Right. You can see the flaw, right? But it, so that's a, that's a bad paradigm. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a hard battle to win there. Yeah, but we all have them. Like if you totally. pause and look at yourself, like, you know, the, the how, you know, it shows up in all kinds of ways. Workaholics, um, exerciseaholics, like a lot of our addictions are a very rigid mindset about something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think you've talked about it a lot, so maybe this has been answered in some ways, but how, how would you define your, what are your, what is your responsibility in this life? Yeah. Yeah. that's a, a great question. And so responsibility. And you can you, use you a different word. Purpose. If you, yeah. Whatever you prefer. Your purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm still, I think we all, like, I know I, you probably, I think we both read lots on this too, because lots of, there's been lots written on, um, what are we here to do? Uh, and so I'll say where I'm at now, because these things evolve and it's different now than where it was before. I, you know, I think for me, it's to create a home environment where my, you know, my greatest legacy, the biggest gift, the thing I can, the biggest dent I can make in the world uh, is to have two kids who thrive, kids who are uh, self-assured, know that they're loved, 
who are solid in who they are and have the psychological safety to go for it, whatever it is. And to create that, like who else is going to do that job other than me and my wife? And what, a, what bigger reward is there? Certainly, again, this is for, you know, coming from a person who has kids. Um, and so, and for me to do that, it really comes down to the work on me. Um, and, and so my, you know, work is increasingly to understand uh, who I am, my gifts, my talents, but pr- starting from the family piece first and doing my best like to you know I, I think more and more about breaking the chain of I'll say dysfunction keep the good from the previous generations um, my parents they're my grandfathers and their their parents and grandfathers all the mm-hmm. way back you know and so there's patterns here and some of them aren't good uh, some of them are unhealthy unhelpful they will not um, allow my children to thrive and so breaking the chain where I can and creating that solid foundation and then from there then um, that could be a whole other conversation as to um, a rollout but I'm increasingly and it's I was listening to a podcast the other day somebody else like this whole idea of change the world starts with you and you know it's a an easy phrase and we've all heard it before but i increasingly see it like it's our point of power it's like that's the only thing i truly have control over mm-hmm. and so if i can break the chain if i can uh change how i show up in different circumstances what effect does that have i don't really know but i know that that's the only thing i truly have absolute control over and increasingly i can see that it does actually translate to um other people change but not because I told them to, other people change in positive ways from the work that I'm doing, just trying to figure myself, my own brain out. Right. And, and with, with that, like in, how do you, I guess, how do you measure or, or how do you, how do you measure whether you're being successful in that responsibility? What's, what comes Hmm. back at you or how do you see whether you're you're on the right track or you need to adjust or how do you think about it? Yeah. And so I, again, I think my story might be a bit unique just because of, um, the challenges we had with both of our kids when they were younger, uh, and just not, you know, daughter for sure, maybe had an easier time. Um, but my son definitely had a lot of challenge. It wasn't the, the world wasn't an easy place for him. And so, the measure that I see is we've gone from absolute crisis and dysfunction, like, uh, you know, basically a, a home that was potential to um, self-destruct the level of conflict um, and frustration was so high all around. Like n- my son wasn't having fun. He, nobody was having fun. Right. And so yeah. to move from that to now, you know, the other night, um, two kids sitting in the living room, both reading a book. Uh, My wife and I just doing some stretching. We don't even have the TV or the radio on. Like the house is just quiet. They go to bed. They get up, they get up early, go to band. Both of them are in band. You have to go early. Like it's, you you choose to do this. And so I just look at, you know, that is such a different space from where we came. So in that measure, and, and mm. you know, life changes fast. Um, I'm not pretending that this, the years ahead are going to be easy, but I just see uh, something has shifted. And in my lived experience, for us, this is really important. And 
monetarily or dent in the universe in a bigger way, I pulled back. Both my wife and I have pulled back from that because we needed to get this right first. I think we have a foundation that we can now launch from. And I think there's just huge learning that we've, you know, we carry a lot of the uh, teaching that I do around mindfulness goes back to the lessons I had to learn here. When I hear somebody in a really hard space, I get it. I know what hard is. Mm. I know when you are at the end of the at the end of your rope, and and I've, I've been through that, and so you know I carry that forward, right? I carry that forward into whatever the next phase is. But I think it comes back to sometimes life tells you where your where your purpose is, and it isn't usually that far away. It, you know the the signs and the signals as to what you are working on or what's most important for you are often I think right there, really close to us. Um, sometimes we don't want to see them. Sometimes we don't want to deal with it. We think it's something else, but if you pull back and embrace that, um, the obstacle really does become the way it actually becomes the, the key there, the, the, the key that opens the door for the next thing that's that what maybe goes back to what you really thought you were here to do. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. It sounds to me, what you describe is, is a success in, in that responsibility in that role is, is your, you and your family feeling calm and feeling peace absolutely and and from that I, I again i see how i learned a lot more about how brains work and i just see a brain in fight or flight in stress um it's hard it's harder for that brain to well, it shuts down right it really totally just shuts down goes into a protective mm -hmm. mode um mm -hmm. it's a defensive protective mode and so growth you really have two modes one is um, pull back pull away defend um, the other is expand and grow and, um, the biology at a very cellular level can only go one way at a time. You're either growing or you're, um, def you know, repairing, defending. Mm. Um, and so, or sorry, hold, you know, sort of holding yourself back from the world, you know, um, pulling back or moving out into the world. And you well, that's need so interesting as a way to think about it. So that even the brain working that way. So in fight or flight, it's retracting as opposed to moving forward. Well, there's a fight version of it, but it's a th you know, it's the thrashing about. Yeah, um, but it's in defense. It's, it's still it's, a defense. It's, right. It doesn't see, it's not in a growth mode. It's in a thrashing about, usually trying to rein in some sense of control again, trying to um, get some normless, normalcy right. or something that will give you security. And so increasingly I can see in my and the, you know, the people, the brains in my family, um, that brain that is settled is naturally wired to be curious, to take, take chances, to push the edge, um, to grow. Uh, and so, uh, how do we, how do we maintain that? Or how do we even create that, um, mm -hmm. so that, uh, we can, we can grow yeah. and grow from a place of, um, I guess, resilience or peace and, and, and confidence as opposed to should have to, um, keeping up with. Yeah which often will just add more stress. Yeah. It's amazing that you can take the experience that you've been through and looked at closely in your personal life back into your work and working with others, whether they're leaders or whoever they are, but just, just taking those lessons. And like you say, your ability to um, resonate or understand someone's the space they're in now compared to say five, six years ago, or maybe a decade ago, totally different. I, I, do judgment well, right? I can, so just from my upbringing, I have learned, I have a brain that learns how to judge. And so, yeah, so compassion, 
having compassion and empathy and understanding for the situations of others and how hard that can be and how we all get ourselves into these situations. It's hugely different now. And I still have, I still have work to do in this yeah. area. It's um, never, it's, again, there's no finish lines. There's no finish things, line. Right? Like, and so, you know, I think the, you know, this last five years has been a huge shift in certainly understanding, but a, a lot more heart. And I think heart is still, you know, the next leveling up for me. I've, my brain works well. Um, I, th I think a lot of us will, you know, preferentially use whatever works well. And so I think heart uh, and finding ways to genuinely openly bring that heart into the situation more mm. is where I'm going next. Yeah, cool. And you, you talked earlier in the discussion just about the, you know, knowing that your own physical and mental health is in good shape. What, what are you, what are your routines? What are your practices around that? Yeah. So, uh, I love that we can pursue health in a way today that, um, maybe our previous generations mostly wouldn't have had the, uh, opportunities that we have, the mm -hmm. knowledge that we have, I follow some people who are big on biohacking and just like understanding what works in our bodies and then experimenting with our own. There is no one way I found. And so just food. Uh, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty careful about what I eat. Um, and again, eating, not, I'll say a, a diet. I eat, um, I eat food. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, Michael Pollan. yeah, exactly. I eat, <laughs> I eat food with like one ingredient, eggs, what's inside of an egg, an egg, what's in a potato, a potato. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, so diet is important, um, exercise and just, you know, working my body. I, I grew up as a kid who was scrawny and small and a late birthday who was accelerated in the education system. So I was like one of the tiniest kids. So I never had a sense of physique or, or strength when I was young. And so I think I've always been pursuing that. Um, but it's amazing how, if you keep working at it, like, um, you can be strong for a long, long time and I'm still getting stronger. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Huh. Some of the things I can do now that, um, I can do more pushups now than I've ever done in my life at times. Right. right? And so, um, that, and then, you know, my real passion is mountain biking. Yeah. I think North shore, North in Vancouver, like we have access to sports and recreation that, um, not everybody does. And so mountain biking, Mountain biking, uh, we could have done a whole podcast on that. Like, you know, I continually <laughs> think, you know, and even coming into like this, this, this session, you know, there, there was some anxiety, some nervousness. Um, and I've come to reframe, you know, anxiety and excitement feel really close. Yeah. They're almost the same. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's the same on a mountain bike when you're about to go down a run that you're not sure if you can clean because there's some danger, right? It's, there's an edge to it and you can feel the anxiety, but you can also feel the excitement for those of us who are, um, and I, I try and bring, you know, that sort of motto over from, uh, exercise of like, or mountain biking as a hobby, just bring it into, um, it fuels, I think it fuels some of the choices and the challenges I make here. And so, you know, you inviting me to be part of a podcast when I've never done one before, um, in mountain biking terms, this would be, um, cleaning, a uh, cleaning a trail feature I've never done before. Right. Right. And so yeah. I don't know how it's going to go, but yeah. I have to have some confidence. Um, you don't just jump off of everything on a mountain bike that you'll kill yourself. Um, but <laughs> it's a dangerous some, sport. It's a dangerous sport. And, and same with life. You don't just jump off of everything, but you assess this, you assess it and you look at where you've been and can I do this? Yeah. And so, how, how do you think like in, I, I think about that a lot in terms of taking risk or, trying things you haven't and 
how do you reflect on, because I often kind of, I guess, think about what, what is truly the worst that can happen. And, and that helps me sometimes feel like, oh yeah, there's not really, it can't really be that bad going for this thing. You know, there's certain things, yeah. obviously, like you say, you can't do, you don't want to take those risks, but how do you think about that? Yeah, that's a great m mantra or motto. Um, you know, what's the downside? What's the worst that can happen? I don't always come up with that one. I, I think I'm, they're, they're, I'm a, I'm a conflicted person in some ways, like I like safety and protection. And yet I have this other side of me or part of me that wants to, you know, taste the challenge, feel the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm always living on that sort of um, seesaw of feeling the pull towards things. And I think my, you know, I see this in, in Noah, the anxiety keeps you from doing anything too crazy. And I think for a lot of us, it's actually turning that, um, you know, turning that dial down a little. Right. I, I think it's being bolder, allowing, I think there's far fewer um, scary things out there or fail, you know, terrible failures or catastrophic um, like uh, events than um, a lot of our minds create. And so... You know, what's the worst thing that can happen is a great phrase. I think looking at, um, you know, what's the opportunity in this as opposed to the fear factor. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the learning? Mm -hmm. um, what am I, you know, do I need to shake it up? Right. Like, am I getting a little just really cozy? Like in, how, how long have you been inside your comfort zone? I follow Brian Johnson. He's all, uh. all about comfort zone and, you know, moving outside of your comfort zone by, def by definition isn't comfortable. Right. right. Like you yeah. are by definition now outside of what was comfortable. Yeah. And so, but that's where your growth happens. Yeah. That's where something new can happen. You know, you live inside your comfort zone. Um, but it, you know, this would be the learning I have. Some people are bold and they just tr fly at everything. I increasingly go back to that psychological safety, that calm center, like what's the grounded piece? How do you sort of, um, where do you come back to when you're going out? And do you have, do you have a place you can come back to before yeah. you go out so that it's not just jumping off of everything, right. and seeing what could happen. I, some people can do that. That's not how I'm wired. I like to jump. I like to t take new edge or find new edge, but I always need to know for me that there's some, some place that's grounded and rooted somewhere. So I know where that is. Yeah. that makes sense. And I think some, yeah, it feels like some people are get stagnant out of anxiety or, or have trouble moving out of anxiety. And some people s splash around too much of anxiety. They, 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 they jump off the ledge because of anxiety, right? Like they might seem bold and super confident, but they're actually acting out of anxiety r rather than from a grounded place. Yeah. 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 Um, from a model, a, a model yeah. I still love is Daniel Siegel's, um, finding the balance between chaos and rigidity right? Like in the flow, yeah. the integrated brain, but the flow, and you see it and you can see it in yourself, uh, this idea of, um, too much chaos is not good. Um, you can feel it, you're unsettled and that's where our family was. Um, too much rigidity, that's not good either. There's no growth, nothing happening. And so finding that sweet spot between, um, and I've just found my way back to this and I'm writing a little more on it now, but it, it, it holds up really well. Every time I, for, you know, you learn these things and you forget yeah. them for six months 12 months 18 months then you come back to it and go that makes so much sense right sometimes it takes that long to <laughs> percolate and actually figure out what what, what what that simple sentence meant yeah um and when you talk about uh, so you talked about your your eating habits and your and your exercise what about i don't know any morning practices or meditation mm. or yeah. grounding practices throughout yeah. your day whether they're planned or unplanned 
Yeah, so um, one of the reasons I teach mindfulness and meditation is this is something I needed to and want and continue to want to be good at. Like I needed to get better at this um, because I wasn't grounded. Uh, so I start every day with uh, the very first thing I do after a glass of water, after I get up, is I sit um, almost every day of the year. There's a few days that I miss and then I'll fit it in in some other way. But if I have to get up early, I get up earlier, early enough to do that. And so I used to sit for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, that has evolved right now. Um, the book uh, that is a really great guide, The Mind Illuminated by John Yates. Oh, unbelievable book is like wow. pointing me step by step uh, along a beautiful path. And I know exactly, he's, he's so articulate, he's so clear, I can see where I am in the path. Um, and it gives me something to work at. And so I'm now 30 to 40 minute meditations and loving it. Um, I would, if I had more time, I would go longer, but I need to get going with my day. But I can see, you know, I really enjoy the sit. And then after that, my morning uh, usually has a, a little bit of stretching uh, would would look similar to some yoga poses um, but hips uh, a few key points that i need to work on just for again um, function str being strong but having function and then i usually either journal a tiny bit review words important things i've written down before or will read something inspiring and so right now i'm back on another ryan holiday um, his new book stillness is the key and so i'll just read a chapter of that and i just like having something uh, inspirational, wise, uh, that I might not have thought about before. I haven't thought about for a long time coming into my mind early. And then that percolates and, and kind of may show up in different ways during the day. That's pretty much the morning routine. Nice. So you actually get some reading in before you start your day. That's a hard thing to do. Does it, I mean, it's like literally five minutes. Yeah. Like he, Ryan Holiday writes short chapters. Today's was a little longer. Like they're really, they're really tight. He's a, he's a, a tight writer. Um, so yeah, for his work, other ones, I'll, I'll read half a chapter or mm -hmm. like, you know, a few pages just to get something. And I, again, rituals, you know, these come and these go, um, they're there for a while and then they fall out of favor and then you find your way back. Absolutely. That's yeah. And finding 30, 40 minutes a day. I'm, I'm trying to do 30 minutes a day, 30 to 40 minutes a day of meditation as well. And it's, it's uh, it's no easy feat carving that amount of time out. So good. For and what you. are you noticing though, or like what what draws you to it? As a guy who teaches people this, and I'm always asking, like, because some people struggle with this. Like, why why even bother? Uh, or why do you do it for thirty it, to forty minutes? Yeah. Well, I think um, so. I did my first ten day vipassana this past summer, mm. and that was a game changer in terms of what meditation was to me. Mm. I just had a whole new relationship. I think I was doing something more along the lines of TM or like a concentration mind focus, yeah. mind focus or calming type meditation. And this, and with Vipassana, which is what Mind Illuminated gets into in the stages, is about going into the body and about, about understanding the sensations in your body and having a, and, and um, separating from the, the mind and the body of mm. Steve and getting back into the life of Steve, which is a separate Your thing. Pure altogether. life, pure yeah, awareness. This observer. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't, every day I don't have these amazing detachments, but the days that you do are the, are the most incredible, some of the most incredible moments you get. Yeah. But then in general, just when I do get that 30 minutes, I, we do, typically do 35 when we do that 35, my day is just different, yeah. you know? So I think the bottom line is that my day is different. Yeah. I feel different. Everything feels different. Yeah. 
Um, and increasingly, I think people are coming to understand that, that, you know, I'll ask people, so, you know, they'll fall off and they'll, they'll say, I need to get back. And I go, why? Because I'm better. I know I'm better when, right? And so it's right. just, again, the behavior change piece is really hard. Um, finding ways to psych yourself into or like outsmart your limbic brain and all the things, all the reasons you won't do things and, and coming up, there's lots out there on help with that. But most of us, to me, it's like the body. So I train my body. Um, meditation, mindfulness practices, or reading inspirational stuff, all of that is training my mind. That's giving me a fitter, stronger, more flexible mind. And, you know, <laughs> who doesn't want that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I need that. I actually don't just want that. There's, I'm both. I want that, but I also need it mm-hmm. for the challenges that continue to show up in my life. And I can't imagine where I would be today without that. Yeah. I honestly, I don't even know why I'd be a mess. Totally. That's interesting. And when, if you're, if you're trying to describe to a, um, let's just say, I don't know, a, a, a CEO or something, some, some executive who is, is, is looking for help, but isn't sure about the whole mindfulness thing. How do you define it to someone who's fresh to it? Yeah. So I guess two levels. One for me, this is, you know, I simplify it to fitness for your brain. Um, this is a, uh, training two important brain functions. Uh, one is the ability to focus, particularly in the world today, hold your focus. And so I start with a really simple focus meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, I'll say even more important than the ability to focus is that step where you notice you've lost every, you've lost the plot. You are no longer on the breath or wherever your focus was at all. And that is the uh, coming back into awareness and, and becoming aware of unconscious processes and that's magic because um, that's the muscle that's the translation i say meditation is just the gym uh, train your brain in the gym for life but that ability to notice where your mind is and bring it back to where you wanted to you will need that over and over and over mm. somebody cuts you off noticing where your mind went to somebody uh, unmet, unmet expectations children not listening um, traffic like all the things that go wrong in our day your mind will immediately leap and can you be conscious and aware of where it went to notice that and bring it back to some other place awesome uh so many most people most people need more of that whether you're a ceo or uh, just getting started in life just anybody yeah just everybody everybody needs this like to me like you know 10 years from now we won't even be asking about this anymore i think you know there'll still be a few but i think increasingly we'll just see how did we get on what were we thinking before we trained or like, how do, how did I even function? How do, how was I not just a dick all the time <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> when I, when I did, yeah. you know, like, how did I hold that together? Um, cause right. I was so, you know, and, well, maybe, I mean, when you look back at the eighties and the general thought was that greed is good and, you know, maybe we were all were dicks in the eighties <laughs> and nineties. I don't know. Um, definitely going through different phases of, of I'm sure, ego sure. And, yeah ego and, and conscious awareness and I, I mean for me I can't imagine not doing or not having some increased I'll say fitness of the brain yeah um, awareness muscles focus muscles to help manage and redirect a mind that is still very primal mm-hmm. like very and and out of control in its own way mm-hmm. um and not always in a good way and so having some tools I, I come at it really a lot at the early day you know this, can, this is a deep practice if you want to go further but initially it's really about tools and tactics um to see and manage a brain that you never really had nobody ever gave me these before and so um no wonder 
it was challenging. I yeah. didn't know. I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know I could actually. I didn't know I had a choice. Right. Know, what I did, I, I just reacted. Right, and we were just you know talking about this practice of meditation where you're separating and becoming the observer and things. But even what you're, when you learn to, I feel like the first time I learned to meditate for five minutes and just to focus the mind. And what you just described is really interesting to me. This this idea that even the act, even when you're, you know. Meditation is hard, so you're constantly losing focus, trying to come back. But even that act of catching and coming back, that in itself is a good practice to be learning. To me, that's everything. I mean, that is awareness. That's awareness of unconscious activity that was unconscious. And you, for a moment, you are now conscious of that. And that gives you choice where you didn't have it before. Wow. And so to me, that's where I tell people it's not about the focus. Initially, the most powerful part that you're training here is that the, the noticing what your mind is doing and then having a moment where you might be able to choose differently, um, ideally better um, than some of your choices, your reactive, unconscious choices might be. Hmm. But you, you, what was the other thing I was going to say? The other, the other thing when people are learning this, I said, just try it. Like, and you really need to try it for two weeks. Like, so people will try it for a day and they say it didn't work or two days. Um, I like to be really on people for two weeks, like really do this for two weeks and then you'll see for yourself. Yeah. Most people can tell something has shifted in two weeks. And if you need, if you're still unsure, go one more week, but by three weeks, if it really isn't working for you, then you need either a different practice or come back to it another time. But for most people, like the proof's in just trying it. Again, back to learning, like it becomes knowledge through the yeah, experience. Don't trust of it. me. Don't trust me. I'll, trust that I know what I'm talking about, and trust that you'll go the you'll go the distance for two weeks. After that, you make the call. Right, and your program, the uh, Mindful Wisdom program, that's uh, it's an eight week process that you take people through. Yeah, so that's still uh, yeah, that's still the core. Like that was designed to like vipassana is ten days. Yeah. Right? So you went to a, a designed experience, and yeah. it's really really specific, and, and it's on my list of things. To, it's an experience I want to have. I want to have that regimen of meditation, and just to see uh, have an experience similar to you. And so my the original was an eight week course because that's enough time to practice each week, learn some, reflect on what you've learned and how hard this is and what you're not doing yet um, and keep modifying that and learning more and adding more um, ideas to it. But much of the world isn't ready for eight weeks. And so a lot of the, what I do is lunch and learns, half day workshops, um, keynotes. It's sort of bringing people to this space in a way that if they're to where they're at, like meeting people where they're at and not everybody wants to really train their brain yet. Not everybody wants to go to the gym mm -hmm. or mountain bike. Um, and so finding, finding ways to introduce this, make it fun, um, make it uh, interesting uh, for where they're at and ideally give them some, something that's concrete value quickly so that they, it, it, they can see the value in it. And when someone does enter into eight weeks with you, do you feel like you can make, you can really, like you said, two weeks, you typically start to see results in two weeks. Can you see that in eight, what, what, what do you see in eight weeks with, if someone is, if someone, I mean, yeah. of course it depends on whether the person is investing themselves. It, it ultimately comes down to what they invest. Uh, but, you know, tell me a little bit about that. So, I mean, you're pointing to one of the reasons I love doing the work I do is you know, something, and it often surprises me. I don't, you know, if I'm doing a room, like a group, a team of 10 people, um, I might have an expectation of who seems keen on this and who's going to get something out of it. Often it's the cynic. It's often the person who, you know, the last, there was a group this summer, 
Um, one woman was quite just not sure about this. She didn't have the time to meditate. She wasn't sure this would work. She was quite against it. Um, but she, she stuck with it and she actually um, really went for it. And like after about week five and, you know, around week six, you know, she had an experience that just nailed it for her. Right. So she was visiting a family member and this was a family member who she's had long standing anxiety and tension, you know, that situation. And so just the call alone to go and visit was a challenge. And so in the, in the visit was three weeks out normally or a week out i think it was just a week out normally that whole week would have been filled in her mind of anxiety and thinking about this and looping thoughts and going back to previous and how this one's going to go and just consuming her and she she said after it happened between uh, sessions and she said you know i hardly thought of it that whole week and then what really freaked me out was the morning of as i was driving there like i didn't have any anxiety in me and then as i arrived i realized i hadn't even thought about it on the drive there and I thought, holy cow, like how different was her experience over that? Like what happened in her work? What happened in her relationships? What happened in her health? That this looping thought wasn't eating her up from the inside over an entire week. And then she had a great visit. I mean, it wasn't profound, but it, she just had a very different experience. And so um, that's what's possible for people. Like things that you expect could never be different. You, the other person, your whole experience of that how you show up for uh, meetings, how you show up for speaking engagements, how you show up for family dinners, whatever that might be. Uh, people all are amazed sometimes. I'm amazed at what they, they bring back. It's like, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see the, you know, in their own way, that would rock their world. Mm. Um, so it's very, I mean, I don't have to convince her. Like she did the experiment. Right. That's so neat. It, it just really feels like mindfulness is actually at the root of all other success, growth and things like that's, that's what unlocks all the potential around you and for yourself. <laughs> I'm going to bring you out with me. <laughs> I, I, exactly. I mean, I see it as foundational. Where are you without awareness? Uh, where are you without self-awareness? Wouldn't it be cool if you had more of that? What would be possible? Like I do coaching as well. And I, I've kind of stopped coaching people um, until they've done some of this work because it's such a different experience. Mm -hmm. You're coaching around all the old patterns or you're coaching around someone who has tools that allows them to be aware of the old patterns and then make a choice. Not easy. It's still hard. It's still really hard to get out of it. But at least you have awareness and you can... Um, find ways to practice this uh that move you forward yeah it just feels like it's something that's hard to get your head around even even hearing stories and all these things like it's it seems hard to get people to your point about getting them in even to an eight-week commitment can be challenging and, and that people see it as oh i don't have time for that though it might open up time you know like it's a foundational piece do you see that? Like, is that shit changing in, in the last few years? Have you seen that shifting at all? Or is that still? So slowly. Yeah. I mean, in, so, I've done a huge amount of work or sorry, not huge, but definitely more and more work with accountants. Like I didn't see that coming over the, the past six months. Um, so the professional uh, accountants in both um, Alberta and BC have had me in doing um, professional development. And so people who I wouldn't have expected would be open to this are curious uh those who are willing to it isn't as foreign it isn't as um, weird as it used to be and like i say i think 10 years from now we will look at this um as like what were we thinking to not 
be doing this for uh, who how did we ever think we'd get on without training our brain or having some tools to manage this really powerful um, nervous system but we don't even understand how it works um, so i i think there is a shift in increasing uh, openness um, acceptance and need i mean the other you tell me i mean it's hard out there it's hard despite an amazing time to be alive uh, people are having a hard time with stress or having a hard time with the pace of change or having a hard time with overwhelm um, despite having it all i don't think it's any easier for the average person to get on if not it's if anything it's harder to get on today and i think we just need tools that help yeah, i agree I, I think we're getting more comfortable we're safer and more comfortable than we've ever been. And, and yet uh, it strikes me that we're more anxious and unhappy than we've ever been. Yeah. And, and it could, yeah, it could be that when we were in survival for our next meal, that didn't leave any room to contemplate. To worry, yeah. The, to worry about the universe or yeah, something like which that. Which meetup am I going to or, tonight? Right. And why didn't this person <laughs> Instagram like me back or whatever? Exactly, yeah. There was no time to worry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I agree though. It's, it's, it's interesting that way. And I, a lot of people tie mindfulness into spirituality or anything like that. Does it, for you, does it have anything to do with spirituality? Um, increasingly. So a lot of, I mean, I look at, um, my own journey is, so first I needed some just simple tools to manage a, some challenging situations. And so that was great. I've, you know, long had a, I'll say a, a seeker's mind of wondering what else, you know, is there more and what's this all about? And so, um, that's still there. And, you know, we talked about the mind illuminated by John Yates. Uh, so I read a lot of different books that all point <laughs> to the same place. And so I'm still very curious and moving myself towards that same place, which is uh, a deeper understanding of what, what really is real here and what isn't real. Right. And so it all, you know, this, all of the wisdom traditions, Buddhism, uh, the teachings, the Vedic, I'm just reading an interesting book, uh, the power of, of vital force, um, by, I think it's red, red Shree, um, Patel heard her on a podcast. I grabbed the book. The book's a little wordy, but, um, great distillation of Vedic traditions. It always comes back to the same story, right? That we are part of something bigger. Uh, Absolutely. And, and so I'm, uh, I have to, when it shows up that many times, I have to believe there is some truth to that. And so I'm in my own journey of experience of, of going there. And ultimately if I can, um, experience it myself, I think one of the skills I have is being as a translator or a contextualizer of abstract or complicated thoughts. And so, you know, I've been able to put mindfulness into a very simple metaphor that helps those who would completely dismiss it, see it as fitness for your brain and see this is, these are just tools, brain tools um, that make mm -hmm. a difference. Uh, I think down the road, as I understand how we fit into all of this in a bigger way, how I fit into all of this in a bigger way, um, perhaps there's a way I can sort of help say that again, in maybe a different voice. Um, than the people who have inspired me um, and helped me make sense of it. And again, a big applaud for John Yates because he's doing as well as many have in terms of me seeing past um, things I couldn't see before. That's interesting. So as you your practice deepens, you are starting to connect with an idea that there is a greater 
game at hand is that or yeah so that that sense has always been there but i think i want need to experience it not just know about it again in a body slash um conscious experience way Mm -hmm. um feel that and as i do like how does that what does that change for me and then why would that matter for others and what is there a way that i can sort of present that or frame that or hold that space so that um, people again who might dismiss that again i'm still on the journey so i'm early days but i have learned you can't teach anything that you don't under you haven't experienced yourself so if you haven't jumped out of a an airplane you're not really qualified to teach um, parachuting right um and so if i haven't if i don't have a deep practice that actually has sat and mused and frustrated and and you know and experienced this how can i teach anybody else um, about this yeah and so do you do you would you consider yourself a spiritual person or a religious person or <laughs> yeah what are the definitions <laughs> yeah, i don't know whatever whatever your definition is yeah, so certainly I say spiritual in the sense of I believe there is I it, there's something more than just my brain and my consciousness, and that I fit. You know, I used the word uh, earlier, um, life energy, or sort of being part of life. And I, I increasingly that's a model or a frame that really works easily for me. You don't have to give it some uh, big label as to who that is. You just it's it's there. You can see that life is life is unfolding um quite nicely without our help right and so and and can you see yourself unfolding as part of that uh can you see that you are really part of this and it's a, it's a big paradigm shift because then you move from this anxious nervous little be you know entity who is trying to survive in in a sort of threatening environment to you actually belong you know it's a for me, it's very powerful, that sense that you belong here. Uh, you have a place and you are from here. Like you're not an alien to this space, that you are actually alive and here with it. Um, and how do you experience that? That's exactly, you know, yeah. All I will say, you know, I walk with uh, far fewer times do I listen to podcasts now and I just walk and experience my world and the beauty around me than... Mm. Um, always consuming or having my mind someplace other than where I am. And that's a bit of the mindfulness coming through, but it's also, there's some real ease and joy moments of that. Like, and so that's. Yeah. And just finding real presence in the moment. And beauty. Every year I swear um, there's more color in the fall in Vancouver. Like at first, you know, it's like, there isn't a lot of color here this year. It's like, man, there's so many reds out there. Um, Look at all the red trees, like the red maples, particularly like the last couple of days, all the reds are in the maple, those uh, Japanese maples are just bursting. It's like, they always been here. Um, There seems to be a lot of them this year. Yeah. And I think it's me. I'm more aware. I think I see it more. And I actually, I just like, I'm in awe. It's like mini fireworks shows. I literally took a, photo of a bright red tree on the way here i just stopped we were in the middle of conversation yeah, like i just, stopped i said oh my god look at the color exactly, in this tree right exactly. now i do the same like i am just like every once in a while <laughs> one will just drop my jaws just like you are outstanding like look at you go yeah like, that is just big bold color yeah and to and to feel like uh you're part of that you are connected to that in some way yeah and i think that's where i'm still i'm that's the that's where i'm at is trying to really feel that a lot more Mm -hmm. and find my way there in a in a in a way so 
Yeah. And what, um, I mean, do you, do you think there, is there a meaning to life? Oh, kind of a cheesy yeah, question, yeah, but yeah. I mean, uh, is there, and may, meaning could be a lot of things. I, I don't know if, you know, I would separate that from purpose necessarily, but. So I think if there's meaning, um, you know, where I am now, it's to learn and grow and like be like shine as best you can and give what you have, you know, in the same way we were just talking about that red maple or that red, whatever mm -hmm. it was that was just bursting and, you know, and it stopped you in your tracks and you noticed it. And I think, you know, it did its thing, you know, it couldn't do any more than that. It was on fire just doing it. And I think, um, the meaning of life is for each of us to do that. It's for each of us to just like, while we're here is to be as bright, um, as us and the us, I, I increasingly believe is all of the crap, all of the good, like everything is, is your, your story. Everything that is your unique contribution. Nobody has your story and nobody can give the way the combination of this and that and all the seas like everything that you have experienced makes you perfectly set up to give something absolutely unique to the world and same for me um and so like what else can you give that is your most unique gift ever um so give it it's beautiful my last question for you is what does it mean to live a good life then um embrace the life you have and 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 grow into you know who you know contribute grow give your greatest gift back while you're here enjoy it there's nothing wrong with enjoying it along the way but a, a good life is one that is rich and full of meaning for you mm. um and the people around you like i don't think it works if it was just when i think it when i was just focused um too much on me um, that wasn't a rich life and it doesn't, you don't even have to have children. You can have, um, friends and family. There's many ways you can have many contributions. And so having something where you feel plugged into that thing, we talked about life, mm. um, but in a visceral and contributory way. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can follow along with my life on Instagram at Steve Rio. For show notes and other info about the podcast, check out natureofwork.co forward slash podcast or find us on Instagram at natureofwork.co. And if you'd like to learn more about how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, how to increase the quality of your work while lowering the stress and anxiety you feel, definitely check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system that has transformed my work and my life, not only the quality of my work, but how I feel every day. And with that, I'll leave you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.